0: Yes, thank the Lord that we have a friend in Jesus. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And that's just a a fitting hymn leading into our our passage today. You know, we've just seen the Lord Jesus feed 10,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it was remarkable from that passage that, you know, he even as weary as he was, hearing the news of his cousin John the Baptist being murdered, that he had compassion on the people and made time to minister to them and to feed them and meet their needs. That's the friend that we have in Jesus. We can always go to him. And so we just saw last time how he fed 10,000 plus people with miracle bread and how he walked on water and healed the sick and basically demonstrated once again that he is God that the Lord Jesus is is God and so now we're continuing in chapter 7 and in our text today we see another confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem it's a similar situation to what we read about in chapter 3 where these religious leaders came from Jerusalem to challenge Jesus and his ministry And so in chapter 3, if you remember, there was the smackdown in the synagogue and they confronted Jesus on his teachings and he corrected them. At that time, they took issue with Jesus healing on the Sabbath and they began spreading lies that his powers came from Satan and that Jesus was casting out demons by Satan's power. And so he corrected them then. And again, in our text today, he will confront and correct their false beliefs and teachings. In chapter 7, the situation has to do with Jesus' disciples. Eating with defiled hands. Oh my goodness. Eating with defiled hands. Hands that have not been ceremonially washed and were considered unclean to eat with. In their minds, the Pharisees and the scribes considered ceremonial washing and all these traditions that they had as an activity that brought them closer to God and elevated their standing with God. And Jesus cuts right through this wrong thinking and corrects them. And I believe the central point of our text today is this, that prideful religious thinking, attitudes and actions is all vanity and gains us no favor with God. Prideful religious thinking Attitudes and actions show a heart that is far from God. It is not true worship. And we're going to see that in our text today. So follow along with me. I'm going to read Mark 1, uh, Mark chapter 7. And we're going to work our way through uh, verse 23 today. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him... You leave the commandment of God and hold to, to, the, to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whatever, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, a gift, a gift to God or given to God, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. And so once again, there are scribes and Pharisees that have come from Jerusalem, and they're here on the scene to harass Jesus. Now these aren't just any scribes and Pharisees. These are the head honchos, the top brass from Jerusalem that have come. They're the leaders of these religious folks. And it likely, could be likely that the local Pharisees requested they come to help them out with this Jesus, who is challenging every move that they make, seemingly. Now, the scribes were law specialists. They studied, interpreted, taught the, the Old Testament scriptures. They transmitted to their own generation the traditions which, from generation to generation, had been handed down with respect to the interpretation and application of the law. These traditions had their origin in the teaching of the respected rabbis long ago. Now the Pharisees were the Israelites who tried to make everybody believe that they, they were separatists, so to speak, they were living, or at least were trying very hard to live in accordance with the scribes' teaching. And so naturally, many scribes were also Pharisees. And we've seen similar confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees in earlier chapters. And these scribes and Pharisees, they absolutely hated Jesus. For many reasons. Well, Jesus claimed to be God. They didn't like that at all. He didn't honor their traditions either. He healed people on the Sabbath. He and his disciples don't practice the the fasts that the, the Pharisees and the scribes practice. He associates, Jesus does, with tax collectors and sinners. He was the opposite of them. And he often called them out and corrected them. And so here they take issue with the fact that his disciples don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat food. They're eating with defiled hands. Now in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus' disciples are unclean and defiled, both physically and spiritually. They think this is a spiritual issue. And so they confront Jesus with their question, and they ask, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? That's verse 5. And what did Jesus answer them? Verse 6. He cuts straight to the heart. He doesn't even deal with their question. (laughs) That's what's remarkable. He calls them hypocrites. He's lost all patience with these guys. I mean, he's just dealing right with their hearts. He calls them hypocrites. As you hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is an actor. It's a play actor, a pretender. And they typically wore different masks during their performances portraying different characters. You'd have one actor have multiple masks, and they would play different characters. So a hypocrite is someone pretending to be someone other than that who they really are. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were pretending to be so spiritual and religious and righteous. And Jesus sees right through that to their heart that is wicked. He called them whitewashed tombs in other places. They're dead inside. They have no life, no love, no compassion. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 29 against them. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what a hypocrite is. You're a hypocrite. You honor me with your mouth. I hear what you're saying, but your heart is so far from God. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You say you honor God, you Pharisees, but your hearts are wicked. And he cuts right through their shallow question to the hypocrisy and evil that's in their hearts. Now, We need to pay very close attention to this. Because on the surface, it's easy to accuse the Pharisees and shout out how bad they were. How could they be like that? But sadly, we have the same tendencies and fall into their same pattern of behavior if we're not very careful with ourselves. In fact, you know, he gives that list of sins at the end, right, that come out of the heart. And we're guilty of most all of those. But we're also guilty of most all the sins that the Pharisees commit. In many many cases, we're modern-day Pharisees. And we've got to be very careful with this. Very careful with this. The Pharisees questioned the disciples' behavior. They wanted the disciples to have clean hands, thinking that that would make them more spiritual and show more closeness to God. And Jesus cuts right through their hypocrisy with his quote from Isaiah. And he's saying this, what you say, how you wash, how you look when you worship, all these things are meaningless if your heart is not right with God. It's an issue of the heart. You stray from God's true commands and teach as doctrines your own commandments and traditions. And what he means by doctrines here, he's referring to official teachings, The scribes and the Pharisees would teach these things as if they were from God and must be obeyed. Their own traditions, they would teach this way. And one simple example that he calls out to them is the command here from the law to honor your father and your mother. And so he rebukes them, he corrects them, and he says, let me just tell you an example of how you do this, just in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. says the law says to honor your father and your mother that's what Moses said yet the Pharisees for the sake of their tradition they taught that instead of caring for their parents in need they would instead keep their money for themselves and give it to each other under the guise that it was being given as an offering to God he says you're supposed to honor and take care of your father and your mother but you Pharisees, you say that anything that I would have given to you, mom or dad, sorry, I can't help you. Anything that I would have given to you, that is now a gift of God, a gift to God. That's Corban. That's what the word means. It's a now it's a gift to God, mom and dad. So I, sorry, can't help you out. It's all a gift to God. And by declaring that, they didn't actually have to turn it over to the temple. They could, but they would often keep the money. And then when they died, it would be turned over to the temple, which is run by who? Them, right? (laughs) So they're just giving it to each other, keeping it all for themselves, instead of honoring the commandment to take care of their father and their mother. And that's just one example, you Pharisees and scribes, of what you do. One easy, right-off-the-cuff example of how you invalidate the law of God for the sake of your own tradition. And he calls them out right there in front of everyone. And so, with their vain traditions, they make void the word of God for their own benefit. They're trying to take the speck out of the disciples' eye when they have this huge log in their own eye. Jesus uses that parable in another place. Don't, don't mess with my disciples eating food with dirty hands, Pharisees, when you've got this huge log sticking out of your eye in most everything that you do. Don't even go there. And so you can see the contrast between the spiritual leadership here, right? You can see the contrast. Jesus, when he sees the multitude, he, he has love and compassion on the people and the multitude. The Pharisees, when they show up on the scene, they're there to criticize and to judge and to condemn, to elevate their, themselves with their pride and, and lower the other people, so that they can feel better than the other people and more spiritual. They're always looking at the world through eyes of criticism and judgment and and rebuke. There's no love. There's no compassion or mercy in their hearts at all. And we know that the greatest of all the commandments is to love. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. We know from God's word that all the teachings of the prophets are summed up in love. You want to keep the command of God? It comes down to those things. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so why did the Pharisees put aside that command to love to follow their own teachings? Why? And why do we put aside that same command in a similar way sometimes? So it's easy, right? I point my finger at those Pharisees. Boy, man, they're just so—they're so awful. But I need to turn that finger right back to myself because I do that, and you do it too. We all do it. We also sometimes leave the command to, of God to love. And instead, we hold to the traditions of men. Our own traditions that we've created in our own minds, or our own families, or a group that we might associate ourselves with. We do that. And you know, it's so subtle that we often don't even realize we're doing it. That's what's the real kicker here. And that's why I say we've got to be real careful. Because we don't even, we're blind to it. We're often just blind to it. And, and we sincerely think that the way we're acting, the way we're talking, the way we think about other people is, is, is right and good and sincere. And yet, we're, you know, from, if you were to objectively look at it or look at it from the eyes of God, we're acting just like these Pharisees in many cases. You say, well, what are you talking about? I don't do that. Well, I was just thinking in my own mind, what are some ways I've done this? You know, I've criticized people for the movies they watch how could they be a godly, you know, how can they love Jesus and watch that movie? You find yourself saying things like that. I find myself saying things like that. Or how could they love Jesus and and listen to certain kind of music? Or, you know, if they were real godly parents, wouldn't they homeschool their children? How can they put them in the public schools? They must not love God or their children. Or, how can people participate in sports on Sundays? That's God's day. They must not love Jesus. They're doing stuff like that. Or what they eat, or you know, they, how could they eat this or drink that? You know, We have our own traditions and convictions that when we see them violated, we question the godliness of the person violating them. We all do it. And we think that we are more spiritual than they are because they don't hold those convictions. And we're better than them. We're just like the Pharisees. God help us all. And he does help us. And I think there's a passage in Romans 14 that discusses this in a way that I really think sums up the practical teaching for the church. Romans 14 gets right to this. And I want to read it. <laughs> you know, I debated on putting it in the sermon because it's, it's fairly long. But, I mean, I can't say it any better than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I started thinking, like, how could I summarize this? It's like, why? This is the word of God. It's much better than my word. And so turn, put your finger uh, there in Mark 7 and then turn over to Romans 14. And I want us to to meditate on this throughout the week and throughout our lives, really, because this is how we we bear with one another in the church. This is how we correct this issue of Phariseeism within our own hearts. Now, he's dealing with the context of Jews and Gentiles in the church together. That's the context in Romans 14. And if you think those guys (laughs) had trouble with each other, man, if you think you had trouble with people in the church now, you have no idea what it was like to be Jews and Gentiles in the church together. I mean, total diet chain differences and all these things, man. And it was offensive, highly offensive, deep-rooted offense. You know, if you're eating meat sacrificed to idols and stuff around the Jewish people, and man, it would make them physically feel ill. They were so repulsed by these types of things. And so Paul's dealing with this issue of Jews and, and Gentiles in the church, and he's dealing with this issue of you know people that have different convictions about things. And so Romans 14, starting in verse 1, he says, For this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not quarrel, not to quarrel over opinions. And so opinions really come down to you know, things that aren't in this apostles' creed, that's a good guideline. Is it in the apostles' creed? Then that's that's an absolute. Right? Those are non-negotiables. That's why we recite that every week. Those are the non-negotiables of the Christian faith. But pretty much anything outside of that, that's an opinion. That's like a personal conviction on food or drink or days or these types of things. That's what he means, not to argue. Don't be fighting with each other over opinions and convictions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. And so, hey, you can't eat that pork. That makes you unclean. He said, no, you cannot talk like that. Don't pass judgment on the one who eats barbecue. Right? Don't do that. (laughs) It's fine. Right? And we just saw in Mark 7, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. That's what he's talking about here. Who are you, verse 4, to pass judgment on the servant another? Don't judge them. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So let God deal with this. Church, it's not for you to judge, it's not for you to condemn, it's not for you to criticize. Let God deal with that. Verse 5, one person esteems a day better than the other. So he's dealt with the issue of food. Now he's dealing with the issue of special days, like feast days or Sabbath days. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God... While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So look, everything that we're doing, we're doing because we sincerely want to please God. And so let that be between that person and God. Don't be their judge. Don't be their one who condemns. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? And boy, he gets right to it there, because that's what happens, right? In our minds we say, oh, that's wrong. Oh, what they're doing is wrong. And then you start despising them in your heart. I can't let my kids play with their kids. I can't talk to them anymore. I just need to cut them out completely. And you despise them. That's how it leads, right? That's the progression. There's no love in any of that. That's not loving. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So he's saying it again. Stop judging each other. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So the barbecue sandwich sitting there, that is not unclean. But the one who approaches it and in their mind is convicted, oh, that's unclean, I I shouldn't eat that, then you better not eat it. Live your own convictions before God, but don't project those onto other people and force your tradition and conviction on them as if it's God's word. That's where we err. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. And so, now, that, this is the other thing. Don't go flaunting your freedom. Right? If you know that eating that sandwich really bothers your brother, don't go eating sandwiches around your brother. Enjoy it in your own home. But don't take it to the church picnic right? we we got to bear with one another, care for one another. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So we have freedom in Christ, but we need to understand our brothers and sisters and not put stumbling blocks in front of them and judge them when they stumble, for that matter. For the kingdom of God, verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we we all want in the deepest depths of our heart? Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit? Of course it is. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so, as we think about our brothers and sisters, let's not come to the the situation with an eye of judgment and criticism and condemnation. Let's come to each other with a spirit of peace and mutual upbuilding. In chapter 15, he says this, We who are strong, Romans 15, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We have an obligation. If we see a brother or a sister in the Lord not living our conviction, we have an obligation to, to simply be patient with that. That's what it means to bear with that. Be patient with that. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Show them love and mercy and compassion and patience. Not the, the glaring evil eye and the judgmental look across the room or even in a conversation. It's our obligation to bear with them. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It comes down to loving our neighbor as ourself. And that sums up all of Romans 14 and the beginning of fifth, uh, chapter 15. And so the take- key takeaway for us is to be about loving each other and building each other up. Let's be patient and understanding with each other in our differences, not critical and judgmental in our differences. Let's show compassion and mercy toward each other. Now, back to Mark chapter 7 and Jesus' teaching on worship. We must understand that true love and worship and godliness flows from the heart. This This is all about the heart, not a matter of outward behavior. When our heart is right and fully loving God, then we can experience true worship. Worship can be thought of in two different ways. When God says, in vain do they worship me, or with their lips they honor me, he implies that worship can be thought of as a series of, of acts or words that are performed in obedience to the biblical commands or religious tradition. Worship throughout the biblical history has always involved action. It's something that we're doing. The main word for worship in the biblical Hebrew means to bow down. To bow down. And worship was performed in bowing or lifting the hands or kneeling or singing or praying, reciting scripture. All this can be called worship. But all this can be done when the heart is far from God. And that's where we also need to be careful. True worship and love of God is of the heart. It has nothing to do with our stomachs or our hands or our lips or anything else. It's about the heart. And for the young kids in the room, we're not talking about the physical heart that pumps the blood, it's not that (coughs) heart. We're talking about the very center of your thoughts and emotions. That's what the heart is in this context. It's the center point of your thoughts and emotions. It's the very core and center of your being. And so when we worship God truly, it's from an overflow of love from our hearts to God. It's a heart that is right with God. We can go through all those motions and put on the smiling Sunday morning face and put on a great act. But if the heart's not right, we're just hypocrites, just like those Pharisees. And so let's be careful with that. You know, even as we come to church in the morning, you know, is our heart right with God? should do a heart check. Is my heart right with you, Lord? Worship, true worship, is an overflow of love from our hearts to God. Always remember that. And so, brothers and sisters, let's not judge or criticize the spirituality of others based on how they conform to our convictions and traditions. And let's show love to God and to our neighbor and be more concerned about our own holiness and less inclined to judge and criticize others. And we're going to see where the true problem lies in our own hearts in the next set of verses, Mark 7, 14. Let's work work our way through that, and then we'll wrap up. And so just to summarize it, we've read it. He calls the people to himself, and he says, Hear me, all of you, and understand, hey, there's nothing outside of you that can defile you. Nothing that comes from the outside and goes into you can defile you. It's the things that come out of your heart that defile you. And so here Jesus explains his teaching further. And we know from the parallel passage in Matthew, uh, one of the disciples, it says, questions him, you know, explain the parable. And so there's a parallel passage in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 15, and it's Peter who asks about the parable. Peter says, you know, explain the parable to us. Now, I'm sure this is a difficult passage for Peter to understand and and really get. Because we know from the book of Acts that Peter strictly adhered to the Jewish dietary laws. He took them very seriously. In Acts chapter 10 verse 9, we see that Peter was given a vision by the Lord and saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down on its four corners. And in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. These things would have all been considered unclean to eat. And Peter sees this vision, and a voice comes to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so Peter, man, he's, he's toeing the line on this teaching. And so he sees the vision to rise and eat, he says... What God has made clean, the Lord says, do not call common. And this happened three times. Things happened to Peter three times to make sure he gets it. <laughs> this happened three times, and then the vision was taken away. And so I'm sure here when he hears Jesus say these things, that, hey, they don't have to wash, that doesn't make you clean. I'm sure Peter's perplexed <clears throat> by Jesus' teaching. That this doesn't make you any closer to God or make you clean. And Jesus wants them all to see that it's not what you put in your body that defiles you. It is the evil that comes out of your heart that defiles you. And even in his response to Peter, he's like, do you still not get it? How can you still not get this? And you can see that kind of pattern in Mark. You know, how he's, the disciples just really don't get what Jesus is doing. They're just, they're 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 following along, but man, they they really still don't get it. But Jesus wants them all to see that it's not what you put in your body that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. It's your evil thoughts. It's our evil thoughts. So how we think matters, church. We gotta take our thoughts captive for Christ. How we think matters. And what you're filling your minds with that's going to influence how you think. If you're filling your minds with all this junk from the internet constantly, that's going to influence how you think, and that's going to spur more evil thoughts within you. If you're filling your minds with God's word, that's going to help set you on the right path and walk a straight path in his word and think things that are good and righteous and holy and true. So what you feed your mind, that will likely result in a defilement of your mind. So mark that. This age of unlimited Internet access is a poison. It is a, a deadly poison. And before that, we had unlimited cable TV. <laughs> and that was a deadly poison, too. So be careful with that. Use it for good, not for evil and wasting time. That's my soapbox on that. Sorry, if you live in my house, you, you hear that a lot. <laughs> and so it's our evil thoughts. And, and here's what the evil thoughts result in, right? So it starts in the mind with the thinking. And then he gives a list, a straight out list of what the, the evil thoughts result in, the sinful behavior. They result in sexual sin. That is sexual immorality outside of marriage. That is forbidden by God. In your mind, even if you look at a woman with lust in your mind, you have committed sexual sin. There's no place for pornography. In your mind or on your phone. Get rid of that. So it results in sexual sin. It results in stealing. You want what someone else has, so you steal it. Killing. Jesus said if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. You're guilty of murder if you hate someone in your heart. Because many times we'll say, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, yes, you have. In your heart and mind, you have because you've been angry with them. You're guilty of murder. Whoa, that's a high standard. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is a high standard. Envy and coveting, that's wanting things that you don't have. And that's what the whole role of marketing is in our culture today, is to make you want something you don't have and to envy it. I work in the business world, and I see rooms of people working out how they can make you want something you don't have. Whole marketing teams, is, that's what they do. They make you want something you don't have. And so you envy, you covet. It results in lying. And saying mean and destructive things about people. Slander. That's what slander is. It's mean and destructive talk about other people. You're slandering them. And it results in pride and foolishness. All this thinking and sinful action. That's what defiles you and me. And all of it comes out of a wicked heart. <clears throat> so. So. Let us instead look to our own hearts and grow in our love for God and for our neighbor. Let's focus on the man, woman, boy, and girl in the mirror. That was my key takeaway from this text. Stop casting stones at other people for all their shortcomings and look in the mirror. Look in my own heart. What do I need to change to be more holy and righteous and pure? And let's get that person's heart right with God. Let's look deeply into our own hearts and purge out the wickedness that lives in there. And turn from our evil thinking and turn to righteous thinking. So I looked through the list that Jesus gave. And I said, you know, let's, I want to turn each one of those to a positive. So if I'm going to put away those bad things and those sinful things, I need to put on something new. Paul calls us putting off the old self and putting on the new. And so in this list, you would, ha- you would think like this. Let's consider how we can be sexually pure in our minds and with our bodies. You know, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't defile your body by, being, by committing sexual immorality. So be sexually pure in your mind and with your body. Be generous. The opposite of stealing is giving. So be generous. Be compassionate truthful, and speak words that build up and encourage. Man, so easily we fall into talking bad about other people and criticizing other people. And Can you believe they do this, or can you believe they do that, or can you believe so-and-so said this, and I said this, and these said this, and oh blah, blah, blah. What if instead we just stop that whole line of conversation and tried to find something positive to say about that person and, and speak words to encourage them and build them up? Put away pride and put on humility. And put away foolishness and be wise. So let's have hearts filled with love and compassion and mercy for the glory of Christ. And let's put away prideful religious thinking, attitudes, and all that stuff. That's just vanity. It doesn't make us any closer to God so that when the Lord when we look the Lord in the face he can say ah that's a heart that loves me and when people see us they say ah that's a person that loves Jesus and loves our neighbor they walk with God